Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a returning guest, a very special guest. His name is Igor Sarsky. We talked back in August, August 7th, 2020, to be exact, about uh, similarities between a group called the Order of Nine Angles and what I've been researching now for almost like four or five years, what's known as the Smiley Face Killers Phenomenon. And uh, that was really one of my most listened to and commented episodes was our discussion back in August 7th, 2020. And in the interim between now and back then, I've written six articles that are on my website, William Ramsey Investigates, and I'll probably talk about those tonight and tie in some of that information. Uh, Igor has tons of new information we can talk about, but the titles of my articles, if you want to reference those at William Ramsey Investigates, are SFK Mystery Revealed, SFK Mystery Revealed, Calling the Mundanes Part 2, Shandon Simpson, Simpson in the ONA, Ryan Fleming in the ONA, Ethan Meltzer, Culling in the ONA, and William Von Nuchajem, Culling in the ONA. And that those are all very recent either terroristic threatening cases or actual murder cases that have happened within probably the last couple of years that involved either people in the military or um, just random people who've been caught. William Von Nuchajem, there was on videos, pretty graphic video stalked this poor older Muslim guy outside of Toronto and slit his throat. And he had in his social media, pretty graphic, a very obvious ONA ritual taking place where he was doing the chanting. He had the order of nine angle symbol, uh, the crystals, and uh, he suspected of killing at least one other person. There's a tie in another knife murder that took place. Uh, close to there in Toronto. So if people want to hear about that, but um, there's a lot of new interest research and I'm delighted that Igor is here with us. Igor, are you there? Yeah, I'm here, Will. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for agreeing to the universe. So um, there's a lot I can talk about, just updates and things like that having to do with this case. But uh, what have you been up to in the interim? Can you just want to do just kind of like a brief intro or, or how do you want to approach Sure. I mean, uh, it's good to be here tonight. I mean, speaking about something other than uh, COVID and uh, politics, yeah, yeah, it's a little bit refreshing. Um, but uh, I mean, I've steadily been working, you know, throughout the last four months after the second video, um, trying to kind of find new pieces of uh, literature that kind of apply, but also kind of discussing the case with other people who are emailing me and chasing down leads that they, them and I have been kind of discussing. Mm. Um, so I've been quite busy, uh, and uh, I'm kind of interested to uh, or excited to get going here to, with you today. So, yeah, go for it. What, how do, which uh, kind of new piece of information do you want to get started with or understandings of this phenomenon? <clears throat> um, well, so, I mean, last time we were discussing a lot about um, the – their motive for culling and that it was their way to affect aonic change. Um, And as I delved further into that, I realized that there was actually a very important connection to water within that, which I actually wasn't aware of when the first video kind of came out. Um, So I wouldn't mind going into that. Yeah, let's talk Um, about that. What I'm referring to is the... um, So when they're talking about aonic change, there's actually ages that they're talking about in terms of which age will be changed will it be changed from so uh 
they're talking about uh, the specific aeonic change is the transition from the age of Pisces to the age of Aquarius. Right. Um, which I thought was interesting originally because I, I knew Aquarius kind of had water elements. So I started delving down that path when I, you know, re- researched that. And I, I came across um, some interesting, uh, some interesting uh, ONA canon regarding um, that kind of transfer from the age of Pisces to the age of Aquarius and how it applies to kind of culling and what is essentially the the, you know, magnum opus of the ONA, right? Which is, you know, the, the changing of the, the changing of the ages. Right. Like aeonic change, right? Mm-hmm. So what's so interesting about this? So, I mean, I, I'm not an expert on this aspect. I mean, somebody like Ken Ami, I'm sure would have a lot of, a lot of an easier or be, oh, much easier time discussing this than I would, but I'm going to give it my best shot. Um, and it kind of applies to what the ONA symbol is. So there's, I mean, we've discussed it. There's been a flavor of ONA called the Drekians or the Drek, right. um, which you mentioned in episode one. Um, the Drek seem to be a more, uh, a group which has taken a more literal interpretation of the canon. So a more kind of hardcore flavor of the ONA, uh, as opposed to kind of lesser or less aggressive interpretations, you know, people who right. don't necessarily believe in culling, but still believe in the ONA. The Drex certainly believe in culling very, very uh, aggressively. It's it's one of their central tenets. Which, and that's kind uh, of like, so like the growth of the ONA comes out of Mayat through this guy who was with Mayat Molt, and then it kind of branches off, right? Correct. Different so Nexians, right? Richard Molt or Christos Beast. I guess we'll call him Christos Beast because I, I don't know. I don't know if he's like, Anton Long in the sense that we don't know for sure who he is. Um, I think Christos Beast is known to be. Um, is that, known that's to, right. That's yeah. the pseudonym for Molt, right? For Molt, correct. It's known right. to be him, I'm pretty sure. So what's interesting about the Drek and Molt is that they have a symbol, which is kind of what they've kind of, you know, their own kind of ONA symbol that they've adopted, which is the tricycle. Um, which is interesting because that kind of relates back to the age, change of the age of Pisces to the age of Aquarius. Um, so, I mean, a lot of people who are following the left-hand path in occult ways know that Saturn is worshipped as a god within the left-hand path. Um, and that the whole, you know, lore of Saturn, which is a Roman god, is, you know, deeply embedded within the left-hand path. And I think you kind of have talked about that a little bit. But in regards to the tricycle... What's so interesting about that is that it is actually a conjoining piece of culling and the water, essentially, right? So you have the bottom of the tricycle, which is a sickle, which is their interpretation of what, you know, should represent culling. Right. And also it's the the, the sickle of Saturn, right? Correct. Saturn exactly. has the scythe, right? Yeah, exactly. Um and then the trident. So the trident at the top, which is the other half of the symbol, so it's a trident and a sickle, which is why it's called a tricycle, is mm-hmm. representing for Neptune, which is the right. son of Saturn. Um, right. What is so interesting about this is when you look into the Drekian way and you start reading some of their do- or some of their literature, including literature from um, Cryptonymous um, and from and from Christos Beast, among others, 
you realize that Neptune is actually connected to Vindex. So I would like to read a little portion of kind of what I've kind of, you know, what kind of connected that for me, if you don't mind for the viewers. Please do, please. So the symbol of the tricycle henceforth, this is uh, directly from a piece of our document written by Cryptonymous, who was an outer representative for the ONA for, I think, five years. Um, and was a central part in kind of creating the direct, or I guess continuing the Drekian way from, she right. was a cryptonymous who's a girl. She was a uh, protege of Richard Moult, who I guess originally created the Drek. And she wrote tons of like literature and kind of followed up with her own zine, right? Her own kind of LNA zine. Lots of zines. Lots uh, of zines. Gotcha. Lots of stuff. And in one of these zines, um, Neptunium is number 93 on the periodic table. Yes, that's actually interesting. Um, let's think about this for a second. So the tricycle, right? We're connecting right. Neptune and and Saturn. But right. in there, as I said, when I was reading so let me continue on my portion here because this will explain it a little bit and I can analyze after I read it. So the symbol of the tricycle henceforth is given over to general Drek population as a symbol of the Drek and the Drekian way. It is a Saturnine symbol representing the ancient god Saturn. It is thus also represent it is it thus also represents Cronus, Father Time, and his golden age. The ancient tradition states that when mankind first lived on the earth, Saturn ruled the world. Unfortunately, he, Cronus, was dis- dethroned by Zeus. Thus, the paradisiac- paradisiacal golden age of humanity was lost and the t- Tyrannus age of Zeus began. So you can see there where they're where they're basically saying that the golden age has basically um, ended, and the Tyrannus age of Zeus began. So the age of Zeus is synonymous with the Magian uh, age, essentially, which right. is what we discussed in the first aspect, which is what they're kind of against. So as I continue, the trident represents several things. It first is the symbol of the god Neptune, son of Saturn who, this is very interesting, will avenge and vindicate his father. Thus, Neptune is a Vindex-like character. Being god of the ocean, seas, rain, and bodies of water, Neptune also is then the presiding archetype of the new age of Aquarius. When the Vindex-like Neptune avenges and vindicates his father, and when Zeus has been dethroned, Saturn will return to once again be king and shall then usher in a new golden age. Interesting. And so the symbolism behind the conjoined trident and sickle is to remind us of that lost age and the memories that still linger deep within the collective psyche of humanity, and that one day in an aeon to come, that lost age shall return, for time is cyclical. And now this last part I think is really interesting. This is the great alchemical work the labor of aeonically transmuting the base metal ages into a golden age, right? So that's the magnum opus of the ONA. This is the great alchemical work, right? And some right. people will know that as the philosopher's stone, right? Right. So you go back alchemy, right? Original and, alchemical ideas. And a lot of people have really have, have, have speculated over the past 20 years that alchemy has a huge part to play in the uh, killings of the smiley face killer without even talking about the ONA, which is really interesting. Right. Kind no, it's very true. Leads back there as well. Um, but I thought it was interesting because before I always envisioned the philosopher's stone as something more tangible. So when I'm seeing it as something, you know, you know, 
when they're saying you don't actually get to tra- transmute gold like uh like uh iron into gold or something you're just you're like it's actually like you're practically transmuting something in real life from you know something that's bad into something that's good right right um which is interesting um i never knew that until i started researching this right something outside of yourself right instead of like the alchemical journey of the individual you're creating alchemical change external right isn't that the idea Mm -hmm. so what's interesting about this is that they're connecting neptune with vindex and saying that neptune is going to be the presiding archetype over the new aeon and we already know from video one that culling is the main way where they affect aeonic change right um which directly in my opinion kind of puts water as a main potential way wherein they would be you know utilizing uh, a main potential avenue for culling right and i mean i think they also that the ona thinks that the individual can also be a representation of index correct so which means somebody can basically read this saying i can be a representation of neptune the son of saturn and i will avenge and vindicate my his father um, and bring a new age through this action. Correct. Gotcha. And that leads back to the culling works we talked about in video one, where, you know, they're trying to change, you know, the, uh, the, the, uh, the age, age. Right. Yeah, through practical and magical means. Right. If the ones that really get into the ONA doctrines and believe it, yes, I think you're absolutely right. So let me continue here on cryptonomous is okay. by Neptune's avenging trident. Let the reign of Zeus be abolished. That I mean, like I'm I'm just reading this and I'm thinking to myself how crazy that is for them to for that to be connected to this. Cause the progeny of Cronus his cubic throne to polish. So this is kind of like a poem. Vindex shall return the crown of emeralds to Saturn head, and to Earth our pagan mother again Saturn shall be wed. Hail to Vindex, may Saturn regain his fire, and may he rule once more a golden age as sire. So it's it's it is really interesting because as i said they're basically equating saturn to the uh pagan mother right saying that saturn's right. married to the pagan mother and that they can put saturn back on the throne by by helping along this the the change of uh the change of ages the aeonic right. change aeonic change right by practical and magical means one of which is culling one of which culling. rex have taken quite literally is culling <clears throat> um, right, and that's what ONA really distinguishes itself from other occult orders is its is its uh, emphasis on calling. Right, like that's really what sets them apart. At least in some of the what is it the writings of what was it Anton Long, the ones that he wrote to Temple of Set. So, I mean, I've I've learned that it's not necessarily every flavor of ONA because, I mean, what I've what I've quickly realized. Um, is that uh, is that uh, like the or- order nine angles because it's not like a structured, it's like a subculture, metaculture right. uh, that somebody like it chooses to identify with, not necessarily like you know structure. It uh, it uh, it has different flavors, right? So so you have right. your can- you have your canon from Anton Long, and then you have all the people who have interpreted the canon. So you have your Drex, you have which are kind of like a pseudo Satanist group. You have right. your neo Nazis, you have your pagans, you have um, you have uh, your your uh, your uh, uh, jihadis, right? Um, 
all kinds of people where it's proliferated and they've all had in the vampire vampire flavor even there's right so that's the vampire flavor about the guy i talked about his name was uh ryan fleming so he was in uh nexian i think something where in the midlands or yorkshire or something like that and that was his flavor of ona was vampiric something yeah so and not every one of these flavors necessarily um necessarily uh embodies the culling um ethos some of them believe it to be um more part of the labyrinth a labyrinth kind of aspect of the ona and not necessarily to be taken literally whereas other flavors take it like bible and think that you know you actually do have to do this to to be ona and you actually do have to do this to change you know to, to create aonic change So the, the symbol of the direct essentially conjoins water with culling with the trident, with the, with the, uh, with the scythe or with the, uh, trident or right. the sickle. Right. So that's the attachment. And you'll see that through all this literature is the trident on top and the sickle on bottom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Ryan Fleming, his thing, what he, he called himself Sithane. Vampiric witchcraft of the Dracon Covenant. That crazy how how yeah. how how insane these flavors are getting, right? Like they, yeah. they're just they're all out of left field, like craziness. I think he's either in jail now or went to jail, so I don't know what happened to him. But uh, yeah, West York, Yorkshire, that's where he was. So while we're on this topic, I kind of want to branch off a little bit. So Saturn, okay. Saturn, um, in occult in occult circles is known to be equated to the black sun. Right. Um, a lot of people know this, I guess, I guess, practically speaking, Saturn was the sun of the galaxy at one point, I guess is what, I mean, what, is, what, or less, essentially that's what they say, or the sun was there, there was a sun there and now it's a black sun regardless. Right, so that's the sun in red, right? Yeah. I want to go on this path because I think it actually leads to kind of where your research began. Okay. Um, and um, I mean, we'll get more in depth and like directly towards the smiley face killer, but I think that this is important to address before we kind of get closer towards the smiley face killer. Okay. Um, so I'm going to read. So during the later years of the Atlantean civilization, certain certain mystics and artists began to speak of a black sun rising over their lands and an apocalyptic future approaching. These mystics adopted this, the symbol of the black sun, such as those shown below which they wore on their clothing, painted on their temples, and tattooed on their flesh. So you'll, you'll remember, you'll see that uh, uh, an apop- apocalyptic future approaching, that can be equated to um, the nihilist philosophy, right? That you know, right. the entire world is going to die, um, and that you know, nothing matters. And that's, um, So uh, continuing on, uh, at first this strange cult was ignored or laughed at by the satisfied citizens of the Atlantean kingdom. After all, Atlantis had known prosperity, security, and glory for as long as anyone could remember, and was in no danger and was in no danger of falling into darkness. Surely the Atlanteans have won the favor of their gods, which they honored dutifully in their temples to the white sun, the moon, the stars, and the spirits of nature. However, fewer laughs at, laughed at the black sunites when a series of misfortunes befell Atlantis, not long after their appearance. Earthquakes, volcanoes, tsunamis rocked the kingdom. Wars against outland barbarians went badly. Sea raiders harassed coastal towns with impunity. Distrust, fear, hatred began to divide the people. Once noble leaders grew greedy and corrupt, 
it seemed that a black sun had indeed arisen over the leaders of the white sun, and a golden age of civilization was drawing to a close. Now, does that ring a bell? Glowing a golden age of civilization? Absolutely. Saturn. Absolutely. Saturn. So... Amidst this chaos and unrest, the Black Sun cult began to rapidly gain influence, and its sinister black temples began to appear, first in remote regions, then in cities, as conditions grew more dire, and the cult became more brazen. The cult soon developed into a powerful religious order known as Black Sun Order, and you'll recognize the Black Sun Order from Nazism in the Wolfsburg Castle, where they had the Black Sun painted on the ground. um, That was the the SS headquarters under Himmler. Yes, exactly, yeah. You, you know exactly good. <laughs> and he had um, twelve thousand occult manual manuscripts in his library. I think the library his library is in Czechoslovakia now or something. So this is where they adopted that lore from. So uh, occult Nazism was adopted directly from the story that I'm telling you currently, which is what's so interesting. So eventually in the entire population of Atlantis would be split by this great religious divide. The white Atlanteans being those who favored the white the older white sun religion with its creed of peace, progress, and benevolent cosmos that shone down its favors upon the people of Atlantis, and the Black Atlanteans being those who sided with the newer Black Sunset, with its creed of conflict, conquest, and hostile cosmos that would destroy Atlantis and all the things and fires, and all things in the fires of the Black Sun, right? So the epitome of a nihilist philosophy. Right. right. Couldn't get more nihilist than that. That is literally the, I would say, the root, the root, um, the root of the entire um, nihilist perspective um, came from kind of this kind of occult um, story slash um, ethos. Um, the mythos of Atlantis. Myth- yes, the mythos, correct, yes. <clears throat> um, I'm just going to think see if there's anything more important here that I want to say. But it is interesting because you'll see this Son and Rad, the Black Hole Sun is all the way up on this guy who I studied, Chandon Simpson, who was literally a National Guardsmen during the Black Lives Matter riots at um, the White House, and got, I think he got kicked out or something like that. But he had that symbol of the Black Hole Sun or the the Sun in Red in his social media. Exactly. So it's very. This is very current stuff. It's not. It's definitely part. And Chin Simpson was actually at Charlottesville. So there's a picture of him at Charlottesville. So let's let's. Um... Let's bring it back to why this is important. So as you would know, and as your viewers may know, you dealt a lot about Watchmen and the right. significance of the smiley face. Right. Now, Alan Moore's Watchmen, right? Now, I was never the largest proponent of the smiley face angle. In fact, I, I, was, I kind of had a feeling that it was more kind of, you know, it was kind of a dead end in the sense that it would never be solved through the smiley face angle. Um, it would be solved through more practical angles. However, some recent events have really kind of made me change my course. Um, okay. one what of, are those recent events? Yeah. I mean, one of which, as you know, is the Lapis Philosophicus website, which is the main, one of the main, if not the main um, website to go for ONA canon. Um, they basically right. have pretty much everything there. Um, yeah, they have like a 2000 page document with all their stuff in it. Yeah, right. all kinds of yeah. all kinds of yeah. stuff there. About the best place you can go, aside from Scribd, but Scribd isn't really a website because it's a compilation of everything other people have put together, so it doesn't really count. Um, although I would recommend using Scribd; it's pretty good. Um, but the Lapis website, as I was reviewing it, 
I looked at the top right corner and I saw a smiley face emoticon. And I'm like, okay, what the hell? That must be just for this page. No, I go to every page and I realize it's embedded in the actual website. And I'm thinking to myself, why would they embed that emoticon in the top right on kind of every single page from the website as a kind of title in a sense, like, right? Right. I, I wouldn't even know what to describe it. It's in the top right and it's embedded and it's a little smiley right. face emoticon. And I really thought to myself, I'm like, why would they put that there? And I, I, I basically told myself, I'm going to find out why they would put that there, what meaning that has to them. Because that was too much of a coincidence in terms of what my research has been focusing on. And, right. Um, I mean, it is remarkable. I mean, that's a direct tie between ONA and this whole phenomenon, right? Correct. Or symb- so, symbolical tie. Why it's there? Why is it there in all the killings? I don't know. Correct. You know, so why is somebody tagging it? Which is why, it, which is what's so interesting is it actually affirms what you were talking about earlier with the smiley face. You were discussing the uh, relevance of it within the kind of uh, pop culture, right? And how within Watchmen it represented um, a nihilist philosophy, right? Yes, the philosophy. comedian, right? They'd laugh at the laugh at it all too, right? Yeah, the entire world is is basically screwed, and there's no other there's no other thing to do in that situation but just laugh at the entire situation of it all yeah while well, you're killing people too right so he kills his pregnant wife or the the mother of his child right as he's laughing exactly. right. yeah. yeah so right there you basically have your connection to um the ona because the ona as you see when you're going through a lot of their material they have adopted this black these this black sun saturn um kind of uh mythos right on the Drakians in particular. So, right. No. So it's like, it's pretty remarkable that you're seeing these tie-ins. Yeah. So what's, as I said, what's so interesting is the connection to the, the, you have the connection to nihilism. So you basically have an ONA member who, who has deep uh, connections to this mythos of, you know, nihilism and black sun and Saturn. Um, and that's what this bloody smiley face or technically a smiley face after a murder, which is a bloody fun smiley face in a sense, right, could potentially right. mean. Right. Um, and I do believe on the Lapis Philosophic website, the reason why they did put it there is because it represents nihilism. I don't see any other possible avenue. Um, there are extremely deep ties. They talk about nihilism in all sorts of ONA literature. Um, and there's and the smiley face, as we talked about before, has direct pop culture connections to nihilism. So I don't know right. why, what other reason why they would have put that there in such an important position on such an important website. Right. I mean, there's tons of connections in the, in the occult. They're all over the place on so many different movies. Even this like uh, most recent movie they came out, The Smiley Face Killers, uses the smiley face all over. Which, mm. you know, which just came out. What, 2020? Mm-hmm. I'm just going to pop up the YouTube chat. I wonder if there's anyone in YouTube chat talking. Okay. It would pop up. Does this connect? Okay, good. It does connect to YouTube, but I, I had to start a new channel because it got kicked off. No, I, I know. I, I just was making sure because I, uh, I didn't know. But uh, I'm not too worried anyways because I, I know that uh, a lot of people uh, 
are not going to be here tonight, but still are interested in what's going oh, on. Oh, yeah. No, it'll go out on all my channels and stuff on the, on the podcast as well. Yeah. I mean, the, my- well, the only place where there isn't any uh, censorship yet. I would expect the censorship is coming, but the podcast community seems to be censor- censorship free. You've had a tumultuous two weeks with social media, haven't you? Oh, man. No, I'm not going back. I'm not going back to Facebook or Twitter. No way. I'm not going to. YouTube I'll have a different relationship with. But, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm a big free speech person, and I never insulted anybody. What YouTube claimed for me was nonsense. They couldn't back it up. And um, it was from f- videos four or five years ago. So I've supposedly they just keyed into I was harassing somebody four years ago. It's a joke. <laughs> But actually, it's kind of interesting because you and I had discussed um, Antonis, right? And so one of the videos was my discussion of what the guy from Comet Pizza and Antonis, the importance of Antonis. And uh, I guess that's what got me flagged. That was one of my strikes. Oh, the Comet Pizza? Yeah, they, I guess they, because of the harassment, the alleged harassment, I mean, who the, who the hell knows what really happened there? But uh, nobody does. I mean, I just was investigating. I did not harass that guy. No, I'm all. saying the, I'm saying the alleged harassment of right. Comet Pizza, right? So right. allegedly there was like a gunman who went in there, and and then right. they cracked down on people on social media who were talking bad about them after the gunman, in 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 the in the spirit of preventing people from getting injured. But really, I mean, they're just silencing people from talking about it. Yeah, there's, it was. I think there's a lot of reasons why they want to silence me off YouTube. So whatever. Okay, but we can anyway. Um, so when I read this, I connected the smiley face to the black sun to Saturn to Cullen, right? Because you know, you have Saturn and that's the, the presiding person over the age, and you have Neptune. Uh, or sorry, Neptune is the presiding person over the uh, new age of Aquarius, right. um, and he will bring Saturn back to the throne. Um, so everything connects here, the right, the smiley face, the black sun. Uh, nihilism, the ONA, um, which is, I mean, I, I have to d- dive deeper into it as I, as I hear, as I speak about it today, I think in my head that I have to dive deeper into that theory, but um, I'm hoping that other people hear about that today and kind of work that kind of angle as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on. These, these people are clearly are using PGP to discuss issues on the back of some of those zines where, you know, but pretty good privacy codes, you know, very sophisticated, well, pretty sophisticated cryptography. So you don't really know what they're really talking about sharing with each other. Mm-hmm. But that was actually one of the things that was speculated during, you know, about the smiley face killings is how are these people communicating over the internet? And there's something right there is they're using cryptography. Yeah. I mean, I also, I think it's not hard to, communicate over the internet or find ways to or find secure service to i mean it's it's you just need to you need to work at it and figure out a way but it's it's possible i mean i'm not i'm not i'm not shocked to hear that people are you know uh, trading secrets over the internet on how to you know get away more uh or get away with practical uh killings right right so so what else do you want to cover yeah, so let's let's continue on that. So I read that and I really focused on cryptonomous because I thought to myself, okay, you have a flavor of the ONA that really takes culling literally. Um, the head of that flavor is the outer representative the, of the entire order of nine angles, which shows how important that flavor actually is. Um, and this representative admitted in her signs that she was the main point of contact between the entire outer world and the ONA for I think four or five years. 
um, which means right. she would have been the main person anyone would have talked to regarding Cullen. Um, so if you're just a random person off the street reading this stuff and you get as far as I got and you say, you know, I want to commit a culling, how am I going to do it? You message Kryptonymous at that time, who was, you know, very, very active online, very active with uh, ONA members, prospective ONA members, as she states in her zines, um, what she states. So I really thought that she could be a potential to focus on. Um, so I started reading these zines because um, this came from the first sign. This um, the poem about um, um, the age of Pisces to the age of Aquarius, Neptune, Saturn that I originally read came from her, one of her first signs, um, which also shows how important it is. She has about thirteen to fourteen signs. This came from the very first one, um, so it shows how important it is to the greater uh, the greater. Um, metaculture of the ONA and particularly the Drex. But there's also some more interesting stuff in her zines. Quite, I mean, more than I could ever address tonight. Um, I mean, as I sit here, I'm trying to figure out what I want to talk about. But um, I think uh, I think the ones that connect to water are most important for your viewers to hear. Yeah, I mean, and you, we, you and I have discussed about some of those. What, what particularly would you like to address? Okay, so let's... So, in uh, in one of her zines is a poem called The Fractured Flowing Sea. Um, and this can be found on Lapis, Philosophic, Lapis Philosophicus website, like mostly everything from the ONA can. Um, the website with the smiley tag on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Um, I mean, it's this. This story is a little is a little confusing. I had to read it probably about ten times. But the more I read it, the more it actually eerily um, connected to exactly what's happening, um, kind of with the smiley face killers. And a lot of it is kind of you know a little bit on the mythos side. But essentially, um, let me let me start reading a little bit. About okay. It. So cause the, the, the story is called Fractured Flowing Sea. It's a short story. Um, and that's kind of – so let me start reading from the short story. So, Silently unseen, they come ashore in various places. There from their restful lair beneath such offshore seas as hides them, come ashore to especially seek out the young, the vulnerable, whom they entice to suicide, to murder, and to death, and whom they sometimes steal alive, breathing. For, this is an important part, it is the acasual energy, the very animator of mortal human life that they, these shapeshifters, need acquire at the very moment of human dying when such humans give up such mortal limited casual lives and makes and marks them as but temporary mundane vessels for that acasual energy that is the essence of their very cosmos. So the story starts out with these shapeshifters who can be described as probably a casual being so they're not actually in the casual realm right mm-hmm. they're in the a casual realm which is important to the end of the story that they, these aren't actual physical things in the realm that you can see and touch right right uh, so these yeah, are and they consistently ona doctrines and theology or what they would call praxis always has this duality between the causal and a causal world so the causal world is our temporal you know, five senses world, and then there's an a-causal world where the dark gods are and all these other things that you're trying to influence or bring down. 
Yeah. So the reason why this is important, that is important is because in the end of the story, I'm just going to, he's going to foil it because it makes the most sense. This shapeshifter, one of the most powerful of these shapeshifters kind of morphs into, or kind of like fuses into a human's body while the human is dreaming. The human wakes up and is set to the task of doing exactly what the shapeshifter needs, which is to acquire the uh, mortal limited or to acquire the essence of the uh, from the temporary mundane vessel, right? The casual energy that is the essence of the temporary mundane vessel. So that's the spoiler just as I'm reading. So, you know, that's how that's how the duality between the casual and the casual works. So the shapeshifter doesn't actually come on to the shores and kill people. They, you know, they like they're presenced by a human being who does their bidding. Right. So they're almost like the person is asking to be possessed. Something like or, that. Exactly. Or... Yeah, exactly. So let me continue reading. So um, I'm not going to I'm just going to try and pair. I'm just going to try and zoom to the important parts because I don't want to waste any time here with your viewers. So they come they come onto the shores to snatch these human beings to drain their casual energy. Silent, unseen, their own earthbound place of unwilling dreary rest rest was beneath the sea, near the shore of that westward English town, whose long, curvy, sandy beaches on sunny and not-so-sunny days would often be alive and festering with happy humans. And it was there, to their lair, where these shapeshifters returned replete with victims, dragged, dead, or dying. And there would be no evidence for meddling curious human vessels to find. For the body, the life of the prey would be gone, leaving no trace, as the sea would leave no trace with its flowing, soundful, tideful ebbing. No trace of what few marks she and her kind might have made as one more of those half-struggling, or, sorry, she and her kind might have made as one more of those the half-struggling because caught, my God, this is confusing, because caught was dragged down to where the shallow inshore sea met, the deeper sea of that unsea. So they're basically saying that the person is dragged down, half struggling to drown. Right. Um, so continuing, no, no evidence, no dismembered corpse to float, bloaten and bitten, back at high tide, no bones, brains, or flesh, nothing ever to be returned, leaving perhaps perchance only one more disappearance, unnoticed, or perhaps always unexplained. No, there would be no evidence for those human vessels to find, for she and they would devour or use them all, Every ounce of human brain, muscle, organ, flesh, every drop of plasma, fluid, body, um, inch, every inch of marrow, sinew, bone, needed as required. They needed the very casual life force that seeped out from such vessels as, as and while they, those humans, cried, spluttered, gurgled, and died. So let me read that again. Okay. They, they needed the very casual life force that seeped out from such vessels as and while they lie, those humans cried, spluttered, gurgled, and died. Food energy to maintain such forms. Right. So that is basically the victim's drowning in the story. Drowning, right, right. The victim, the, the victim that they take to 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 take to obtain um, the uh, the a casual the energy, causal energy, right? Is drowned. Is drowned. But that's actually kind of a common theme, right? Of this kind of like you're supposed to capture spiritual stuff in your um, your quartz triangle, or right? Quartz, pi- quartz pyramids. So. There is there is some kind of weird like yeah. flavor within the ONA that talks about you know like 
a casual energy and like a basically absorbing energy within a crystal right. or a uh, a tetrahedron. Um, so, which is really which is kind of applies exactly to what this is. Um, so, what what the kicker of this story is not that what the kicker of the story is basically that they focus on a westward English town where throngs of people are exiting bars right. um, to the night. And that's who they target is people along the people exiting at the night who are drunk and pretty and, and basically easy prey. Um, right. Is, so, so they've talked about that in some of their writings, the same kind of environment, right? Late night environment. Well, correct. So we, we talked about that in version right. one, but right. in this story specifically, they're talking about that's who these shapeshifters target is throngs of people coming out from bars. Um, and so. you, when we talked in the pre-show, you talked a little bit about another known, Victim, right? Do you want to? Does that tie into that what we talked about? If you remember? Um, well, yeah, I guess. I mean, right. from from my perspective, I think you know a lot of people have said you know it's it's not uh, nobody you know nobody's been caught trying to use this mo right. right. Nobody's right. been caught maybe trying to abduct someone from a bar. Um, which well, that's not true because first documentary Landfear, he was doing that exact same thing so. It's definitely happening or yeah. has happened. Yeah, there's exa- there's examples of that, but there's actual examples that place right back to the occult and Satanism, which is, I guess, what you were just referring to. Right. Um, and the murder of Mark Kilroy uh, in 1989. Um, so I guess we can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, can you? I can do it. Because, yeah, sure. I just, in, in relation to the fractured flowing sea, the reason why this applies is because that's who they're targeting in this story, right? Um, the right. person who wakes up from the dream and ha- and basically is doing the exact bidding um, of the shapeshifter, which is to go to these um, these uh, these uh, places and get the victims. And I'm not sure if the if it is to put them in the water or drown them. I mean that that's not quite clear, but it's definitely they're drowning in the story, and right. so that's how they obtain the victims. So that's how this applies to Mark Kilroy, right? Right. And so Mark Kilroy was really the first gringo victim of this satanic cult led by Adolfo Jesus Costanza, I think was his name. And it was in, uh, it was in Mexico just across the border, but the the place where he was taken was Matamoros. So they're known as the Matamoros murders or something like that. But yeah, they, he was, uh, he was selected and they hunted for somebody right at that time, right as the bars were closing. And they were looking for someone who was a white male of that age as well. That was what they needed. Exactly. Them. It was intentional. I think he was like 19, 20, 21. And quite simply, all they needed to get away with this is for Mark to separate from the group because that's what happened. He separated from the group and they basically just drove up on him and shoved him into a van. Um, and he was 21, uh, very uh, athletic. Was he 21? Yep, yeah, age 21, athletic. Huh. Um huh. And um, your standard SFK victim, yeah. They didn't have any utility either. They just shoved them into a van. Their only utility was the van in itself, right? I mean, which which shows how e- easy potentially this is in lesser no, lesser um, supervised areas, right? I mean, in the right. U.S., you have cameras everywhere. In in Mexico, I'm not so certain you would have cameras everywhere. Not at that time. I don't think so at that time. Good point. In '89, definitely not. Um, which which is why I think 
I think in particular why we see the the victims in the U.S. or near water. But um, we can talk yes. about that later. Do you want to talk more about the Kilroy case? Well, I mean, it gets pretty graphic, but yeah, he didn't end up well. And uh, he was just one of many, though. I think they had already, he was like victim 20 or something. Which is what's so scary about that, because you're thinking to yourself, okay, these guys are, have this is like the last victim. And they that's that's how they were basically, you know, that's how they had polished their MO by the 20th victim. Um, that, that definitely sounds familiar in terms of, you know, somebody polishing their MO in the same regard. Right. But what's what is interesting about the Kilroy case is that they basically brought brute force abducted him and he was drunk, so they were successful, but they drove a block, as the Wikipedia page says, and he was able to break free. And they had to chase him down again and bring him back at gunpoint, um, which is pretty messy. Um, and most people can agree that, I mean, as the smiley face killers or anyone who is trying to use the smiley face killer modus operandi in the United States, you can't have that type of leakage. Um, you're going to get caught pretty easily, right? Um, which is why we've been seeing um, a lot of a lot more utility. People getting creative with utility in the U.S. cases um, compared to this case. You know, not as not as brunt force. Um, and um, that's yeah, that's uh, that's you know, uh... right. So you're you're these people are getting more sophisticated. There's less evidence or little or no evidence of anything. I mean, what's the one Sacramento case where that kid got, I mean, it's a perfect example. Just, just missing and found in the river, you know, 15 days later. You're talking layered, about layered, uh, what was it there? The kid in Sacramento, I can't remember his name offhand. I, I, I'm thinking of Shane Montgomery, though, as like a prototypical case. Because Shane wasn't drunk, Right. Right. Um, and I think they said he had two drinks. Yeah, he he, he which is low, not drunk. Low, low blood alcohol, but he was perceived as drunk because he was kicked out of the bar for falling over the DJ table. Which, as I was saying to you in the pre-show, could have, you know, somebody who's watching could have perceived that as, you know, a, a cue that he was drunk. Um. So, and he was also right next to water. So I think I think we can kind of talk about that now the kind of sophistication. So you see in the Kilroy case, that's very rudimentary. Um, right. They're brute forcing it because they don't have to worry about cameras. You know, they don't have to worry too much about, you know, um, um, the kind of intangibles. Um, but in the U.S., you do. If you're going to be right. operating in places like Chicago, Wisconsin, uh, uh, Minneapolis, um, uh, Boston, uh, New York. Or, or Bristol or Manchester in the UK. Yeah. Or London. How, so you had to think about it. You're like, okay, so how the hell do they do it? Right? How the hell do they, how right. are they getting so sophisticated? Um, I mean what a lot of a big hallmark we've seen in cases is drugs. Um right. which a lot you've you've mentioned that in a lot of your cases. Yeah, GHP sure. That goes back to Gannon and Gilbertson as well, yeah. That's a piece of utility that killers have been using. Not every killer has access to drugs, which means not every killer can use, not every person using the MO can use the drugs as utility. But we've seen, you know, in per, a case as perfect example is the uh, Patrick McNeil case. He was drugged inside of the bar, um, right. and the killers abducted him knowing he was drugged, I assume. I would assume that as well. Yeah, which means which means they were using the drug as a utility. Um, another utility that people have speculated is women. 
So we know that, I mean, I'm just throwing it out there. Cryptonymous is a girl. Um, and, you know, if you had other girls who were, I guess, ONA followers, they could potentially be used as utility as well. Um, I mean, I think that every every boy would, would attest to the fact that if a, a good-looking girl came up to them in a bar, started chatting them up and said, you know, for them to meet them somewhere, they probably would go on their right. own by themselves and meet them somewhere um, without ever thinking that they could potentially be in trouble. Because, right. you know, they're totally a strong, strong guy. You know, she's a young girl. Um, so there's another piece of utility. Um, one other piece of utility that is interesting is electroshock weapons. And this is something that I don't, I don't see talked about nearly enough as far as I'm concerned. Um, because you actually seeing a lot of cases where criminals are being caught with these weapons, which means you can see it's, it's evident that they're actually being proliferated around criminals. Um, right. And what's if you're way- looking at just to sorry to interrupt, but if you're looking at the screen, you can see the representation of the tricycle. So it's the mix of the Sith of Saturn and the trident of well, what, which is the Greek Neptune, god Neptune. Neptune. Thank you. Yep. No, it's a. a I, I'm not even sure. As I said, I'm sure Ken Ami would have a field day with this stuff. Um, but uh, I, uh, I, I definitely uh, had to do a lot of research to get even close to. You know, um, even even some type of knowledge on this because it definitely um, is pretty deep. But um, yeah, this actual segment is what you were reading from earlier. Exactly. Sure. Correct. Yep. So, so electroshock weapons. So I was speaking with an ex Green Beret who I cannot mention his name because we're not talking names on the stream. Nope. Um, so, but he had a lot of interesting things to say because. We were talking and I asked him, you know, we, we got to a point where we were talking about how to execute, how somebody would actually execute these killings. And mm-hmm. I asked him point blank, I said, you know, how would you do it? How would you replicate it so efficiently? Because obviously the MO has been able to replicate it um, effectively and efficiently without being caught long term, um, which is not easy because where, where's the one case where it went wrong, right? Where's the one case where they had to, you know, where, you know, maybe, maybe it flew under the radar as a failed abduction. And it didn't right. register as being connected. I don't know, um, but right. but it seems like they've been fairly successful with the mo. Yes, I would agree with that. And you look at the Kilroy case; these guys they had already abducted twenty people, and they still had trouble with this guy abducting right. him. He right. know, got away, and they had to chase him down again. And you know, the, these are big guys, twenty-one year old athletic. They can you know they can beat the shit out of you if you're not careful. Um, so. So that's what's so interesting about that is he flat out told me this is this is what he told me is that um, electroshock weapons um, have a very interesting uh, scholarship behind them in that um, they the wounds that they make are actually um, not the scholarship surrounding the wounds is not uh, cemented. So different different uh, electroshock weapons will make different wounds on the body under different circumstances. So there's a double kind of double kind of uh, limiter, right? right? So let's say you're, you're wearing a, a thick shirt. It'll make a very, a lesser mark. Let's say you're wearing a jacket. It'll make, you know, it may not even make a mark, right? Let's say you're wearing a t-shirt. Um, it'll make a bigger mark, right? Let's say you're using a specific type of weapon or you, let's say you're using a taser as opposed to a, 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 a uh, uh, some type of other electric weapon. Um, it would make a different mark. So, right. What's also so interesting is that 
um, some of these electro weapons actually don't make distinctive marks. So they can be confused with bruises, especially if they are left alone for a long period of time, um, confused with post-mortem bruises. So if the body is tumbling around in the river and, you know, hitting sticks and, you know, getting, getting all the post-mortem bruises that it gets. Right. Right. A medical examiner is going to have almost no opportunity to see the um, electroshock wound on the body, let alone know what they're looking for to begin with. Um, so it's quite interesting when I thought about that because he also mentioned intelligence agencies. So he said that intelligence agencies often have to, you know, use these type of, you know, um, tactics to abduct people, right? To abduct right. people without necessarily having anyone see it or anyone, you know, any, any big commotion happening. Right. Um, and you've seen that in a couple movies where people walk up to somebody with an electric prod, right? Where the electric prod, it's like a small little stick with an electric current at the end and they just stick it under the armpit and the person falls instantly. And right. when, when I, that brought it back to me and I started researching and I started YouTubing actual victims of tasers, right? And seeing how they reacted and my God, they dropped. Um, they dropped. Um, it's actually, in my opinion, one of the most perfect weapons for uh, abductions. And it's not even close. Make, makes sense. That's why nobody ever gets, you never hear a scream or anything or. Instant out. And they're ready to drop, no. right? It's no. just to kind of, it's just to kind of put them unconscious. Right. Um, and what's, what's interesting is you hear a lot about these people not having jackets, leaving the club without jackets. Right. Um, I, I mean, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I'm like, obviously, you know, it's easier to taser someone without a jacket, but I, uh, I'm just, I'm just, I'm not speculating that anyone has ever used a taser in one of these killings. I'm just speculating that if, you know, in the eyes of this green beret, if he was going to, if he was going to basically be, you know, the Will Graham and put himself in the shoes of that killer, right. right. And oh. basically commit what the killer is doing. That's how he would have done it with his knowledge and his technical skill. Um, which is interesting. And what was that uh, article you talked about where there was directions on how to get into certain environments and get out without being being seen? Wasn't there something in the ONA about that? I'm trying to think about what you're referring to. The comments about like the red light districts and things like that. Blackout Correct. spots. Yeah, I was leading into that. Okay, okay. sorry. Maybe no, I went too fast. No, no if you need to, okay. I was literally going to speak about that. So you're right on. Okay, you're right on point. You're not going too fast at all. Um, so this this goes into utility, right? So one utility, one counter utility against these killers is cameras, right? So you're talking about it's a battle of the killer's utility against the state's utility, right? One of the main right. state's utility is these CCTV cameras, and one of the main as- objects of the killers is to combat that utility. Um, so how do you do that? Um, and I, I had no bloody idea. I mean, quite frankly, it's, it has always kind of eluded me and kind of, I, I had never really had any kind of knowledge in terms of how they were able to kind of avoid the kind of CCTV cameras and, you know, what their, what their plan was for that. Um, until I started reading these signs, (laughs) um, Right. So, so within these zines, cryptonymous designs, she discusses um, blackout spots and red light districts. 
um, within the concept of culling. So one of the spots where she discusses it, she's talking about... Um, she's talking about people who, you know, talk a big game in Satanism, but haven't actually committed a culling. And she says, um, I've never heard from one of you, from any one of you, hint about blackout spots or red... I've never heard from one of you any hint about blackout spots or red light districts or just dropping hints that lets me and others know that you just might have done it and that you just might know ways to do it. She's referring to Cullen here because this section is called Notes on Cullen. Hmm. Like usual, you got to leave it up to the usual suspects to say it for you because that's how sinister some of you are. Leave the real sinister shit to people like Myatt and those nameless initiates out there in the streets and shadows to do while you boys talk shit. So she's insulting people who never act and saying, I've never heard from any one of you any hint about blackout spots or red light districts or anything that that gives me any hint that lets me know that you or any others have just might have done it um, or that you just might know ways to do it. So, or you or others. So she's basically criticizing all the people that talk a big game but don't actually know how to commit a culling. Um, Remarkable. <clears throat> so the, so when I read that, I mean, I initially thought to myself, okay, what could that possibly mean? What could those two words in conjunction together possibly insinuate? Blackout spot and red light district. Um, because essentially those have been the two largest hints. They never talk about a culling that they've done or, you know, a culling that they've achieved, or there's, there's actually no technical strict handbook on how to achieve a culling. There's stories like a wordful tale where you see people, where you, where you see their footprint, right? Right. But there's no actual like handbook on how to commit a culling. Um, however, this, this, as I said, was essentially the closest thing to her saying, this is what you need to look for, or this is what you need to keep in mind when you're trying to achieve a culling. Um, which is blackout spots and red light districts. Um, so, I mean, what are your what were your thoughts when you first heard that? Well, it just makes sense that somebody somebody is pre-thinking this, and there's a thoughtfulness or a sentience about it, as well as sinister. But uh, when you look at many of these cases, you can tell that you know people are sent they're thinking about the well, the CCTV. Where's the best place? Where's the best op- opportunity? And, uh, you know, I, I mean, the list is way too long, but there's so many elements in so many cases, whether it's in Exeter or Bristol or even Manchester, some of those cases, it's pretty clear that, uh, you know, people are trying to avoid, they know about the CCTV cameras. Correct. So, so let's get into this because this is actually a very important topic. I mean, quite frankly, this is the most important topic. You have the highest ranking member of the ONA um, at the time telling you that the major hints from somebody that shows that they've committed a culling are blackout spots and red light districts. You have to look into it. Um, you just have to, um, especially coming from the same person who's talking about all the Saturn, Neptune, um, the, the god who presides over bodies of water is also the index-like creature who will basically preside over the culling of people, right? So right, the bring the new golden age, right? This is cryptonymous. This is the same person, the leader of the Drex, right? So, so the the most you know the people who have taken the culling aspect the most literally. So it all connects. Um, so I, lo- I started looking into this. 
Um, and I found some pretty interesting stuff, I think. Uh, and I uh, would definitely love to share it with you. If you yeah, want. please do. Cool. Um, so when you look into red light districts within the U.S., you find out that not 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 every place has a red light district. In fact, mo- most places do not have a red light district, a historic red light district. So uh, generically speaking, a red light district is a is a is a is a uh, street of bars, right? That's what somebody thinks of it as. But um, technically speaking, there are historic red light districts um, in towns all around the U.S. that um, that are right next to water. Um, so the, the 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 hallmark of a historic red light district is that it is right next to water because it attracted sailors, right? Right. They would build the bars right next to water, so the sailors would come right off the ships, see the red lights. And, you know, spend their money. Um, so all the historic red light districts in the United States are right next to bodies of water, be it rivers or uh, or lakes. Right. Um, or so, ocean, just the ports, you know. Yeah, I guess that's true as well. Right. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. I'm thinking more I'm thinking more the the uh, yeah, in, uh, internal landlocked areas. Yeah, exactly. I'm thinking more like the central, like, you know, uh, big areas of big smiley face killer areas, although there have been cases all around the U.S. and on the West Coast as well. Yes, correct. Um, so, so what? When I started looking into historic red light districts in the U.S., what I, as I said, I noticed that not every place had it, um, but some pretty key places did have it. Um, so, I noticed that uh, six of like the one of the large, basically the largest hotspots for the Smiley Face Killers all had historic red light districts. So I'll just list them quickly. So you have Boston, okay. Boston Massachusetts, um, which has the combat zone, which is Washington between Boylston and Neyland Street. Um, and that's next to the Charles River. Um, and I think everyone knows how many cases are in Boston there. Um, yeah, tons. I, I think you'd be shocked to see how many of those cases are actually right near the combat zone. Um, so I'm just I'm just throwing out cases that I spent very little time on co- on collecting, but Zach Marr, Eric Munsell, Dustin Willis, William Hurley, Eugene Losick, John Daly, David Mark, Franco Garcia, all within a five-mile radius of Washington between Boylston and Neyland. Um, so then you have Chicago, Illinois, which has the Levy as its historic uh, red light district, which is the Grant Park area, and that's next to Lake Michigan. Um, and there, I have six cases there as well. I won't list them all because I'm going to continue. So then you have uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, which has River Street as its historic red light district, and that's next to the Milwaukee River. Um, you have Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I think you'll realize the theme that all these places are places where there's hand, dozens and dozens of smiley face killer victims. Right. Um, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Liberty Avenue, which is right next to the Allegheny River, which has a particularly large amount of victims, Pittsburgh as well. Um, Minneapolis, Minnesota, which has the Mill District, which is right next to the Mississippi River. Um, so all these places have historic red light districts right right next to bodies of water. And right. then New, New York, New York, which has Times Square, Soho, which is Manhattan, and Hunts Point, Bronx. So basically, um, and that's next to the East River and the Hudson. So it's like sandwiched, I guess, between the East River and the Hudson. Right. So there's six centers where you have extreme hotspot areas. And all these areas have cases that are directly in the area of the of the uh, of the uh, of the red light district 
So, right, and I mean, you can look at this as what's interesting is that how few cases there are outside of bar areas, right? So you can go, yeah, yeah, like Omaha, Nebraska, or hey, Wichita, or maybe there's a few there, but there's certain places where that's not happening. Yes, and I think this is actually, so when I started realizing this, I started realizing what they meant by blackout spots. So when you realize what's going on at all these locations, you see where all these people went missing right right at the right in the areas of these red light districts right next to water. And then you realize what could they possibly mean by blackout spots? You realize that the blackout spots don't exist in words of land, right? Or they're a lot more difficult to decipher for somebody right. who's canvassing the area. Right. So if you were to be canvassing for blackout spots with cameras, and you were to be in the middle of Manhattan, let's say, um, it would be near impossible to, to to canvas for blackout spots. You know, you could be it would be very difficult to you know figure that out. Um, but if you are right next to a body of water, what that allows you to do is it allows you to put your back to the water, knowing that you have a 180 degree angle of blackout spot right behind you, and you can make your way forward from the water, canvassing the area. Right, so. When you're looking for blackout spots, where do you start? You don't start right in the middle of the of an area of land. You start right at the water where you have the 180-degree blackout spot, and you move forward. And then perpetually, you increase your blackout spot knowing that there are no cameras pointing from the water inwards. Right, right. So that's quite interesting to me why areas right next to water – full of bars, which essentially are red light districts, right? Which are bars next to water sure. are used because you have throngs of people coming out, lots of victims, right? Who are drunk, who are basically easy pickings. And you have the potential to map out areas of blackout, the blackout areas that are not, um, you know, they're not covered, right? They're not, there's no thing, right. Exactly. It's pretty scary to think that there's that much thought written now thought about this MO. You know, people, you can see the MO from the other angle. Like, this is clearly what's happening, but seeing it from the other side is pretty eerie. And I, and I actually, I prompt anyone who's listening to this to actually go out if you have a body of water near you and see what I mean. So if you, you have a body of water that's near kind of, you know, some bars or something, just go there and put your back to the water and start walking forward until you get to a camera, right? And then you're going to realize that there's actually a decent blackout portion by the water. Um, some areas more than others, but... If you're able to basically map out a certain blackout spot um, and you have a red light district where you have tons of people exiting um, and you have, let's say, an electroshock weapon, the MO becomes kind of easy, doesn't it? I would say so. I mean, if you've staked it out and stopped, you know, and then, you know, you don't even know what happened to these people after they get electroshocked or something. Yeah, I'm not sure that all of them are being electroshocked because, I mean, you see that, you know, it's your people are able to do it in the most rudimentary fashion as per the uh, the one we just talked about in Mexico where they basically just force the guy brute force into the, into the, into the uh, car. The problem I have with that is we're seeing a lot of cases where the victims are sentient and not drunk. Um, Dakota James, Shane Montgomery, that just like a couple that come to mind. Um, guys right. who are, you know, known to be not wasted. Or so not drinkers, I, not big drinkers, right? Yeah, exactly. How do you how do you get these guys um, successfully into a, a van without them, you know, without any you know defensive wounds on them, 
without using something that gives you the the the, the advantage, right? Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of my perspective on that kind of utility aspect of you know. Right, but it's scary to think that that order's thinking about it, and I just like uh, brought up this. This was actually a document. Let me see if I can pull this up for the video. Um, I don't know if this document is legit, but there is such a thing as the NCTC National Counterterrorism. Um, what is it? National Counterterrorism Center. But if this is a legit document, it's pretty interesting because uh, what it's saying is like the Order of Nine Angles playing influential role among some RMBEs. RMBE is racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists. But this is from November 12th, 2020. And I think it's pretty interesting because they talk about they want to raise awareness of the violent extremist symbology, terminology and ideology better position to recognize warning signs. So they are going, they're like really looking at the occultism. And this definitely to me has the aspect of um, reality. It says not for public release, but are you seeing this document on there? I think I sent it to you. Yep. I've seen that document for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then they mentioned Melzer who I've written about. I know Denton, Jacob Catterley. So, I mean, there's a lot of people, but it's pretty remarkable that uh, this document got out. I think it's pretty it's an interesting document i'll try to post it up on my webpage if people want to so want to see it. so the comment she makes above blackout spots and red light districts directly connects culling to water directly right because she's saying right. that you know that's how you, you you get you do it with these with the red light district um advantage which is the ability to have a, a lot of victim pool right next to a blackout spot um or a potential blackout spot but also i mean i i assume that uh i assume that because they talk a lot about practical cullings mm-hmm. and staged accidents when they're talking about cullings, like the word staged accident and practical culling comes up like 50 times in, wow. in documents. Um, they, they specifically say that um, stage accidents are fantastic ways to commit cullings um, and get away with them because at the, at the beginning, right. Anton Long in his canon is talking about practical cullings, right? You have right. to commit a practical culling and a practical culling is not one where, you get caught by the cops and are in bars for a hundred buying bars for a hundred years. Right. Right. As we discussed in the first uh, episode. Right. And I mean, the example is like uh, this guy, Von Nudigem, which I wrote about, like he got caught, he got caught committing a car. And it's interesting that then some of these on his YouTube channel, like people were saying, Oh, you got caught killing an offer. They knew the, the terminology of a sacrificial victim and everything. It's pretty intense. But uh, Von Nudigem is supposed to be in court, I think, this month. And uh, so it's for real. I mean, this is a real event. And, yeah, there's just uh, – it's just a pretty remarkable tie-in with the SFK killings. This is so so let, me, let me continue this. So, so okay. where, I, where, I, where I found the blackout spot in red light districts was in um, an, an addition of Fenrir, which is basically like an ONA um, – is one of the early ONA missives or pamphlets, right? Yeah, I found it in version 7.3, um, and Cryptonomous was the author, and it was titled Some Notes on Cullen. So some other interesting portions from that portion I would like to read, if you don't mind. Oh, please do. Um, so 
The interesting and sinister thing about culling is that most, if not all modern cullings, when done by a true follower of the sinister way, are disguised. That is, they do not appear to the authorities to be ritualistic killings. Some cullings, for example, are intentionally disguised as accidents. The followers of the sinister way, being part of an elite, will plan the culling well in advance and use their skills, their cunning, cunning and their intelligence to not only choose a most suitable offer, um, but also to ensure a correct disposal of the mortal remains of the offer and that the place of the culling remains secure and hidden, or that there is little or no forensic evidence for the culling in such a place. Um, to me, that's about as direct um, of a kind of, you know, a statement like yay we know yeah we're, I mean, accidents. we're making yeah. sure that there's no that there's no um traces there's no uh forensics you know how, do you, how do you do that how do you commit a disguised accidents without any trace act without any trace um um forensic evidence you use water right That's everybody nice. knows water washes away a certain amount of forensic evidence not all right. of it right but a certain amount and there's, I mean, quite frankly, unless you're putting them in, in uh, I mean, that's not a stage accident though, right? The only other way I could think of is you put them in acid or something, but that's not a stage accident. Right. right? It's what obvious other... that something's missing. That's the whole thing. That's the whole purpose of the water. It's fake. It's staged. Exactly. <laughs> that's yeah. the key into all that odd ideology. And that's so what you have the puzzle here. piece fits. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a culling, but they're doing that basically to make it practical, to make sure that they're not being caught for the culling. Right. right. Um, so, right, so and you don't know where the drowning, the real drowning, takes place. If somebody gets abducted, you don't know. It's, it may not even be taking place in that body of water somewhere else. I, I'm almost, I'm almost positive it doesn't take place in that body of water. I'm um, gonna, I'll tell you why. Okay, it's in, it increases the variables too much. So, if you the, for these killers, killers who are basically extremely intelligent and have created an MO that actually can be replicated and, and used efficiently. They're not going to be um, taking their care. They're, they're not going to be drowning that person in the body of water that they that they uh, close to where they abduct them. Any anywhere close to where they abduct them, right. um, it's always going to be a third party location. Um, and we've seen that because people are gone for too long. They search places. Right. They search places where they end up being found and they don't find them. Right, and then they end up being right. found weeks later. Um, so they're obviously being kept drowned at a third party location. Quite frankly, it's just way too practical not to do that right i mean or to to do that sorry it's it's too practical to to drown them at another location it's too dangerous to drown them right at the same spot like you've got it you're planning on taking them somewhere or something like that yeah exactly um i mean also who the hell knows who could walk up on you for all you know somebody could see you I mean, right right so they have to be secretive they have to do something and if you read some of their literature they're like fables and stuff there's a lot of secretiveness there's a lot of plotting and planning type things in uh what is it the 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 what's the one called the fan oh no i can't remember the name of it but uh there's like four stories but yeah there i mean it ties in with some of this more recent writings but also the older writings are still they're still teaching people how to you know operate sinisterly correct um which is why Cryptonomous is such an interesting figure to focus on because she was the person who was the main point of contact between anyone who was basically looking to call and looking for kind of tips to call. And 
what that's I mean, that's why everything, all these writings by her are so interesting because she was the she was essentially the one who potentially could have um could have um proliferated or or distributed this MO around the world. Because we're we're wondering how the hell would this was this distributed? There had to be a source. Right. Right. We're seeing here Cryptonymous is talking about this MO, right? As this being the source of it, right? As knowing tips about this. And she's saying that she was the one schooling everyone who wanted to become ONA. So likewise, it makes sense. You know, it just naturally makes sense that she shared these tips with everyone else, which is why we see around the world people are using this MO. This little MO, right? And there's uh, there's different, I mean, more of my research since we last talked, there's Nexians all over the place, Russia, Italy. Um, all with different flavors, yeah, right? Different so, flavors, right. Definitely inspired by the original writings, the Naos writings and, but yeah, there's, there's definitely different flavors. You don't know what each one of those different cells, I mean, he's d- definitely talking about this cell structure, but he just renamed it Nexian, right? But it's, yeah, I mean, I think it's in the doc, what was the document that I read? It's the one about, uh, oh boy, let me see if I can find this. Um, yeah, but it's the, it's Maya is writing to these guys at, uh, what is it? The Satanic Letters of Stephen Brown. That's it. He's basically telling them that he's devising these Nexians as cells. I mean, we've already kind of talked about that. You still there? Yeah, I'm still here. I'm just okay. reading something right now. I'm trying to think about how I want to tie this in. Okay, so... Let's um, let's continue here because I want to give some more good examples of kind of how this kind of how the ONA um, kind of trans transfers this MO to their people or to their followers. Um, okay, which is which is an interesting, which is basically remember we we talked about the word the wordful tale, right? Which was the um, which was the uh, story about the, which was the story where we saw the footprint of the ONA kind of, uh, or the uh, SFK modus operandi. Right. And there's actually another story that kind of fits the exact same bill, um, which is interesting because I guess the more of these stories you find, the more the point applies that, you know, they're showing people to do this. Right. Right. Um, and this story is called Lurker of the Night. Um, and it's from Fenrir 7.1. Uh, do you want to read a little bit of it? Sure, I would love to, yeah. Okay, so we have a comment. He says, doesn't the abduction, abduction spot being near the body of water they're found in suggest the killers live nearby? Interesting comment. Not necessarily, but in some of these other writings, they're clearly these like couples are driving far away to commit crimes, right? What was that? I can't remember that article offhand, but. I think C. Mitch is getting at is he's saying that if they're going to be taking these people to third party locations um, because they're not being uh, drowned in those bodies of water, then I mean, it it makes sense for those people to have some type of third party location in the area. Right. Um, And for that case, you have to be local. Right. Right. Um, And also, you know, to be able to canvas an area for blackout spots, it insinuates that you have high knowledge of the area. So True. there are interesting points to that. Um, I don't necessarily think it means you have to be from the area. I think you, in terms of utility-wise, having knowledge of the area is extra utility. 
right? It makes it easier for you. Agreed. Um, and I assume as well, I mean, there can be ways to drown someone. I mean, I've speculated. That's a really interesting question because they have to have a third-party location to drown the person at. Um, but you can have portable third-party locations. I mean, you can have a van and drown them in a van, right? I mean, te- technically speaking. Um, uh, right, but I mean, isn't the purpose of the drowning, if you're a member of the ONA, is to absorb the acausal energy of the victim? So it depends on the yeah, flavor. So certain flavors, including the vampire flavors, talk about this like absorbing of a casual energy. However, other flavors are more concerned with aonic change and killing the dross, right, and making sure right. the dross are uh, are you know helping you know natural selection along. Right. Um, so it it really depends. It's kind of hard. That's the problem with the ONA is every time you try and typify them, you know, you realize that you know the ONA isn't really typified by its flavors. It's typified by Anton Long's cannons and the flavors are just, you know, variants, Nexian variants. Variants, exactly. Yeah. But I know that's a good comment though. Um, so let's, let's focus back on Lurker of the Night, which is another short story, um, which directly uh, tr- uh, transfers the footprint of the Smiley Face Killer Modus Operandi, um, which basically, so you have this character um, who's planning to go out on a culling. So he's planned the operation for Saturday night, a new moon, um, when the enslaved youth go into the pubs to forget their misery and meaningless existence in alcohol, and when the dark goddess lets her blood fall from the night sky. He soon arrived in the chosen town and parked his motorbike behind a deserted gas oil station, very close to the center and giving a good emergency exit, just in case. From there, he could distinguish activities emanating from the center, where the humans had already began their soak forming chattels of over-perfumed and really noisy animals. Carl leaves his helmet slowly and draws near the prey. Like a hawk, he begins to search into the crowd, slowly passing from one individual to another, scrying the perfect, scrying for the perfect candidate. The pubs now, clo- now begin to close their doors, pushing out the young pieces of meat that will peacefully reach their apartments and cars. It's time to draw nearer. Um, so that's, I think, is the most important part of the story. Inevitably, the story starts with him trying to go out and commit a culling. It ends with him committing the culling. He ends up stabbing someone, which is a weird ending, in my opinion, because it's kind of contrary to everything they talk about. Right. Um, There's not that many sta- ONA stabbings. There this was guy, Vaughn, you did one, yeah. Yeah, one recently. But in this case in particular, I guess he stabbed the guy and made a quick escape because he traveled to a completely different town. So this is to see Mitch's point. In this case, you know, the guy traveled to a completely different town, committed a culling, and then drove completely away from the town 100 miles away um, as kind of a strategy. So um, the only interesting part about this story is the fact that he's specifically saying that the best place to, to, to focus for prey is the people leaving the bars at night. Um, and he, his prey is somebody, is a homo hubris who leaves the bar and who is yelling at his girlfriend, and he follows him and ends up stabbing him. Um, gotcha. So, so this is where they, this is the base, the main place where they look for people who exhibit the tendencies of homo hubris, of um, of mundanes, um, which is right. bars. Yeah, there's the bars. And what was the was the ritual where the ideal victim is a 21 year old male? I forgot that one. Do you um, remember offhand? 
Was that the ritual of, rec of recall the recalling ceremony? Recalling ceremony, yeah. Yeah. Twenty-one year old victim. Yeah, twenty-one year old male. Um, so, so I mean, Fenrir in general is an interesting. There's a lot of material to go through, um, and I mean, there's a mix of stuff in these Fenrir materials. Some some by cryptonomists, some by Anton Long, some by Christos Beast. Right, um, but here's the here's the question. Yeah. I think that's important: is who in this is really a rigorous? you know, ONA, rigid, ideologue, and who is just in there for the walk or, you know, dark friendship or whatever. I mean, that's the whole thing is like, clearly some of these people are serious, just like in any other religion. And some are, you know, maybe a little more lukewarm, I would say. But if somebody's really absorbing all of this doctrine, yeah, dangerous, really, really dangerous. It appears that the Jurekians are the best candidate for somebody who's taken it literal enough to actually go out and do it, um, in my I opinion, um, because they focus on, you know, this whole aeonic change thing. And to me, that's the most important part is not, you know, necessarily the, you know, zapping a casual energies. It's more, you know, committing a culling because that's, you know, that's going to help along the new age. Right. right. We're going to move to the age of Aquarius or the new what is it? The, the rise of Vindex, right? The representation of Vindex in the future. Exactly. Vindex associated with Neptune, right? Neptune is like a Vindex-like feature, uh, right. Vindex-like character, which is what Kryptonimus says. Anyway, I, I we're almost at ninety minutes. Is there anything you'd like to kind of wrap this up? We could do another one sometime in the future, but uh, it's pretty late where I'm at. No, I uh, I think we've done a lot of good stuff. I mean, I've tried to kind of throw as much uh, of the uh, of the water slash modus operandi connections that I have today out at your viewers. Right. Um, so they well, can kind of look it. into that stuff. Yeah. But there's a lot, there's just so much literature and you just wonder like what these guys are thinking. Like I was going through the stuff from Yorkshire. They had their own corpus of, of ONA related material. It wasn't straight from Myatt, Anton Long, whatever, but uh, they were writing their own stuff. Just like uh, this one person you're referencing now. I think I should mention that Christos Beast, who actually kind of handed off the direct to Kryptonimus, mm -hmm. um, actually has a lot of connections to water himself. So he has an entire tarot card. Right. Um, is, it the, is it the Sinister Tarot? Is that what it's called? Yeah, something like that, which basically paints a lot of, you know, a lot of um, occult pictures. And a lot of these pictures have Baphomet and culling aspects directly connected to water. And it's right. actually weird how many, how much water plays a part in all of his tarots. They're almost all there in every tarot. There's water. There's a water representation river or something, right? Yeah. And then you have stars, you have Baphomet, you have, you know, wolves, you have all kinds of things that would insinuate culling right next to water, yes. um, which even makes me more think that the direct might actually be something to uh, really look at here. Um Great. And where can people reach out to you? Are you what uh, are you on any social media or people want to send you an email or anything? Yeah, I mean, I'm on Twitter, but I think the best yeah. place to go is uh, to send me an email. Um, okay. What's my your email, email is uh, y.sarsky at gmail.com. Cool. And um, I apologize for my voice today because I was sick last week. So That's I. All right. My voice is a little raspy, but I, I tried to do my best today. Well, I apologize if, uh, you know, I'm tired. I've been definitely, this is my second interview of the day. So I'm definitely, oh, is it really? Yeah. Anyway, let's do it again soon. Let's uh, keep in touch. And I really appreciate all the information and you sharing your research again. 
it's Igor Sarsky the second time. Last time was uh, back in August. So hopefully we'll do it sooner than later. Just to end it, I think I'm going to give you my, uh, I made kind of like a reading list, kind okay. of like when you're in school, your teacher gives you a reading list. I've kind of made a reading list of every piece of material that mm-hmm. applies. Actually, not every piece, more like the best pieces, the creme de la creme of material in terms of what relates to the Smiley Face Killer. Mm-hmm. Um, there's 10 pieces on that reading list. Um, and I would, I because last time we, we spoke, I told I told people that I would give them all of my literature. The problem is I wasn't really prepared when people were emailing me saying, hey, I want everything. I didn't really know how to get them everything. It didn't really make sense either to kind of just drop everything on people. I kind of felt bad for them. So I'm more prepared now. I have a reading list prepared for viewers who want to email me. But I'd also like to post it on your website if you don't mind. Yeah, no problem. You can post it on my website. I can put it in the show notes if you like. Yeah, I think I've already sent just, it. I've sent it to you already anyway. Yeah, so. I have it. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, and that's that's 10 pieces where I think anybody um, who wants to look into this theory, you read those 10 pieces, and after you've read those 10 pieces, you're thinking to yourself, I, I know Igor's theory now, 100%. Right. Understood. Awesome way to end it. Thanks so much, Igor. Have a great one. I hope you feel better. Yeah, no, thank you for the opportunity. My pleasure. Take care.